as evildoers. They're seeking to honor the Lord, and yet they are being widely misunderstood. Uh, Christianity was very young, it's in its infancy. It was widely misunderstood. Christians were heard to uh, call one another brothers and sisters and to speak of love feasts and to speak of feeding on the body and the blood of Christ. And so in the early church, Christians were sometimes slandered as evildoers. They were accused of incest, brothers and sisters, love feast, and of cannibalism, feeding on the body and the blood of Christ. What can that mean? Ultimately, uh, through all these things, the reputation of Christ in the world was at stake. And Peter is writing in this section to say how Christians are to respond as they are slandered as evildoers. And he gives uh, the general principle in verse 13 that they are to submit themselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, uh, every human creature. Uh, in verse uh, 17, he gives them, the, again, the a general agenda, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And then afterwards, he begins to become specific about uh, different uh, people and how they are to submit. He first addresses slaves, and now he goes on in chapter 3 to address marriages, husbands and wives. Today, we are going to look at uh, wives. Next week, uh, we are going to come back and look at uh, husbands. Uh, but as you'll see in this passage, God calls wives to uh, submit to their husbands and in this way, promote and defend the fair name of Jesus, which would otherwise be maligned. So let us give attention to God's word. First Peter chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braided hair, the wearing of gold, jewelry, putting on of dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in the, former in the former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us hearts as your people to serve, to submit ourselves and to become the servants of all. And for that purpose, Father, we need you to crucify in us every self-serving way that all the works of the flesh and its selfishness would wither while you produce in us by the gospel the imperishable quality of Christ-likeness. As he has come and as he has served us, Father, make us the servants of all. And we pray for wives today in particular that they would indeed uh, have it in their hearts through Christ to submit to their husbands in a way that brings Christ honor and glory. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, as you have noticed, I am in the enviable position today of having to tell the wives here this morning to submit to your husbands. I am very aware that I am going where angels fear to tread. So uh, please pray for me today. If you are visiting us today, I want you to know that we are not singling this issue out for special treatment. 
We are simply going through the book of 1 Peter. I want you to know that. But as God's people, we want to hear everything that God says, even the things that are a little bit more difficult for us for various reasons to understand. And so we want to look at this issue, this call uh, uh, of Christian wives to submit to their husbands, whether those husbands are believers or not. Uh, that idea is one of the difficult teachings in scriptures, uh, not just in our culture, but probably in any culture. It has always been a difficult instruction to hear. But particularly to our ears, uh, submission implies inferiority somehow. You know, that somehow women are less capable, less competent, less intelligent, less able, less decisive, less whatever, and so therefore they need a man to lead them. It implies inferiority, and it is offensive. It is also oppressive to women, at least to our ears. Submission uh, implies, in our culture, being kept in submission, being prevented from being able to break free and to seek personal fulfillment. Submission means being kept in uh, submission, and therefore it implies oppressiveness. Uh, but for perhaps anything, you know, this word, this whole idea of wives being submissive to their husbands conjures in our minds uh, this image of a man sitting on the couch watching the game and telling his wife to go and get him uh, another beer. And the wife who is submissive is just supposed to do that joyfully. There is a deep cultural memory of the wife doing all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the housework, changing the diapers, doing everything, while the man uh, sits as the breadwinner and he just sits uh, and does nothing and the wife does everything. She dies to self and loses herself while the husband lives for himself and uh, he grows larger as she uh, sort of fades away. We have to be honest, and not just in our culture, but, but you know, as a Christian community, that sometimes submission has gotten that reputation, earned that reputation through the abuses of husbands who have twisted the biblical teaching of submission of wives to their own advantage. And we condemn those abuses. Those abuses are wrong. This is not a way for husbands to aggrandize power and control and advantages to themselves. And it is wrong whenever that has been the case. As a people uh, living in our culture, being very much people of our times, as people living in a fallen world where obedience is difficult in many ways, we experience submission in a negative way, as problematic as oppressive and perhaps even offensive. But as God's people, we also know that God's ways are good. There is wisdom in them. And while condemning abuses of passages like this one, we want to seek God's wisdom. We want to know the beauty of his ways. We know they're beautiful, even if sometimes we have a hard time seeing it. And we know that God is able to speak into our hearts and into our lives. I sought a uh, fresh way to introduce this very difficult subject to you, and I thought I would talk to you today about the fearlessness of submissive wives. Uh, I get that from the end of uh, uh, verse 6, you see. Uh, uh, submissive wives do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And in light of that, let no one say that Christian women are kept in submission, that they cower in fear. It is exactly the opposite, the way Peter describes it. Inwardly, they have been given fearlessness. No one keeps them in submission, but they willingly submit themselves, following in the steps of the suffering servant, that as Christ served them, they submit to serve their husbands in this way. They are fearless because they have been filled with a living hope that nothing 
Uh, not all the suffering in the world and no one can take from them. They are fearless and as a result, they are able to submit willingly. So we're gonna look at that together today. I wanna look with you at the, uh, the principle, the purpose, the power, and the practice of submission. So that's, that's where we're going. First of all, uh, the principle of submission. What is submission? Now, I, approaching this passage with great fear and trepidation, I talked to several ladies this week, uh, including my wife. I wanted uh, their perspective, the perspective of godly women uh, who struggle with this. One of the people I talked to was Linda, our office manager. Uh, she's a godly woman, and I asked her what she thought of submission. And the first thing that she did, she started laughing. And she said, listen, when I was young and I heard the command that Christian wives are to submit to their husbands, I said, I'm never going to do that. Never. I will never submit myself to serve a man. And then later she did. And I asked, what changed? And she said two things. Number one, I met my husband, and he was a loving man. But number two, I learned the biblical meaning of submission, which was different than the preconceived notions that I had in my head about what submission meant. Now I know not all Christian wives are put in a position of getting to submit to loving husbands as Linda was. Sometimes Christian wives are called to submit to husbands that are very difficult and very selfish. All of us as husbands are selfish in various degrees. But all of us can benefit from learning the biblical meaning of submission. That does help. Let's talk about what does the Bible positively mean by submission. And as we think about that, one of the first things I want to point out to you is that all people are called to submit, just, not just Christian wives. What Peter is saying here, he's not isolating Christian wives and calling them to submit. There is a broader principle which applies to all of God's people. We have to uh, understand this in context. And the context is uh, verse 13, if you go back to the previous chapter. Notice what he says there. He says, uh, speaking to all of God's people, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And it's not just institution, the word is creature. Submit yourself to serve every person. So uh, you remember when we looked at that passage, we said that to submit means to serve other people to submit your own self-serving interests, your own selfish interests, in order to serve other people. And what Peter is saying here grows out of Christ's general call to all of his disciples when he said to them, if you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And in that culture, a cross was an instrument of execution. And so what, uh, what Christ was saying is, take up your cross means uh, take your whole self-serving way of life and submit it to be crucified. Execute your self-serving ways. And follow me in serving others, because Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when Peter says, submit yourselves to every person, what he is saying is die to self, and become the servants of all. That is our calling as Christians, and it is uh, to every Christian to die to their self-serving ways in order that they might become servants of all. Now notice that Peter says, again in verse uh, 13, he says, submit yourselves. Therefore, biblical submission never means being kept in submission against your will. Submit yourselves. Again, there's a call. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Don't wait till other people force you to give up your self-serving ways. 
out of, uh, in submission to me and, and, uh, and because of my grace, take up your cross. So this submission is a voluntary submission. It is not a submission against anyone's will. We are to submit ourselves to be the servants of all. And finally, notice uh, this important principle that he calls us to submit for the Lord's sake. And he, uh, when he says uh, every human uh, institution, but, but it, it should be every human creature, what he is saying is that we submit ourselves to serve all people simply because they are made in God's image. It is very tempting for us to make a division in our minds between those who are worthy of being served and those who are somehow unworthy of being served and to serve only those that we find to be worthy. But what uh, Peter is saying as an apostle of Christ is that we are to consider all people worthy of honor and respect and service simply because they are made in God's image. That is why he goes on to say, honor all people. As Christ himself said, he calls us to love even our enemies. And that's important because you understand, he goes on to say, uh, he instructs servants, first of all, in verse 18, to be submissive, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. In other words, you are not to say, well, this boss is gentle and good to me, and so I will serve him, but this other one is quite unreasonable, and he's quite harsh in the way that he uh, treats me, and therefore I will not serve him. Our calling as Christians is to be the servants of all, to love even our enemies, and that means we do good work for the good and the gentle as well as to the harsh. And you, say, you see the same uh, pattern working out here in Peter's instructions to wives. They are to be submissive, to husbands, even when uh, those that are disobedient to the word. Now, as we uh, seek to just draw a few things from this, uh, notice that all Christians are called to submit. All of us are called to die to ourselves and to serve others. And what that means and what we need to understand, as this week we're looking at wives and next week we'll look at husbands, we have to uh, acknowledge the fact that biblical submission is a call to everyone, and therefore it is a call to both husbands and wives to submit. Not in the same way, they have different roles, but both husbands and wives are called to submit. Wives submit to their husbands by accepting and yielding to their husbands' authority, and husbands submit by using their authority to serve their wives. Let me just say that again. Wives submit to their husbands by accepting and yielding to uh, her husband's authority, and husbands submit by using their authority to serve their wives. Husbands, as they lead, are to die to that self-serving ambition to use uh, this command to twist it to their own advantage. They are to set aside their own interests, and they are to use the authority God has given them to serve their wives. Even as Christ laid his life down for us, husbands are to lay their lives down for their brides, not using their authority selfishly, but using it to serve their wives. And they are to do this, uh, again, we are to, uh, all people are to submit for the Lord's sake. And what that means for wives is that wives are to serve husbands even when they are unloving. And husbands are to use their authority for their wife's good even when their wife is not very submissive. We, uh, each Christian, is called to, use, to submit themselves and to use uh, the position, the resources, the gifts that God has given them to serve other people in whatever uh, position that they are called to fill. But here we're talking about wives. Wives are to... A wife is to submit to her husband. Uh, that means to accept and to yield to his authority. And he, uh, she is to do this uh, both for believers and non-believers, both for those who are loving as husbands and those who are unloving. And what is the purpose 
of this submission. We see that uh, in verse two. So we see the general principle, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, and then the purpose. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So in the case of a wife who is married to an unbelieving, an, a, a, a man who is not a Christian, the purpose of this is to win her husband. There's a general principle for all marriages. All wives submit to their husbands and yield to their authority in order to win them to Christ. If they are already believers, the purpose is to, win the, uh, to draw them closer to Christ. Peter is not here speaking generally of submission. Now, Paul does that in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. But Peter has a specific situation in mind. It is a situation, the difficulties that are caused in that particular culture for a woman to submit to her husband when her husband is not a believer. You see, in the culture of that day, it was expected that wives would adopt the worship and the God of their husbands. So the fact that here you have women who have embraced Christ while their husband has rejected Christ, the very fact that they have embraced Christ and continue to worship Christ is taken in that culture to be an act of defiance and rebellion against their husbands. It's not a submissive attitude. How are women uh, to respond to that? This whole dynamic where wives were suddenly embracing Christ even when their husbands did not, uh, became an occasion for uh, slandering uh, Christianity. People were saying that Christianity is just an excuse for those who are uh, forward and ambitious and self-serving among the ladies to assert their independence. And that was all the, uh, it was all the easier to make that case when wives adorned themselves with such uh, costly clothing, as you see in verse 3, when their adornment was merely external, with the braiding of hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and the putting on of dresses. Now, you understand they weren't living in Dallas. This was the ancient world. Very few people could afford this. And when they did, uh, it was quite a statement. And it was a self-aggrandizing statement. It was a statement that it was intended in that culture to put your wealth, your status, and your importance on display and therefore to draw attention to yourself. Very few had enough gold sitting around to make jewelry of it and wear it around just uh, for cosmetic purposes. For the, it was a self-aggrandizing, drawing attention to self. It was a self-serving uh, sort of endeavor. And if, if Christian wives went around and they, their behavior was merely external and they cared nothing about their inward character, and if uh, therefore their inward heart was to their external appearances and they just wanted to receive the praise of people and it was all about me, it begins to call your dedication to Christ into question. That after all, your faith in Christ is nothing more than a cover for yet another way in which you can assert yourself and rebel against your husband. Now, the best solution to uphold the name, that's one way that, that Christianity was being slandered uh, at, for, as being evildoers. You see, wise for all their talk of Christ, they just want another way to rebel. And therefore, uh, Peter says, your adornment should not be merely external but rather the way that you are to conduct yourself, the way that you are to show that your faith is genuine, is by not giving attention merely to your external appearance, but especially giving attention to the way that you serve and relate to your husband. You should make it obvious in the way that you relate to your husband that you are submissive. You should uh, cultivate chaste and respectful behavior, a gentle and a quiet spirit. You should uh, be submissive and uh, take for an example, uh, you know, Sarah, 
biblical submission uh, is uh, something they're called, uh, that wives are called to do. But I want you to notice uh, two things that are worth noting uh, at this point. One is that Peter does not call Christian wives to abandon their uh, faith in Christ and embrace the, uh, the false worship of their husbands. That was quite remarkable. And sometimes we don't uh, fully appreciate how remarkable it was in that culture. He is saying, uh, you, are, you have Christ and Christ will not be taken from you. So he doesn't say, adopt the cultural expectations of the time, submit to your husband and embrace his religion. And furthermore, he not only says that, but he invites them to influence their husbands, which is a challenging thing to do. They are to influence their husband. They are to win them to Christ. Now, how are you to be submissive and at the same time exercise influence over your husband to win him to Christ? Peter is saying it is, especially in that cultural and that, you know, the heated debates they were having in those days, it is a difficult thing. But Christian wives are to be submissive and yield to their husband's authority in the way that they lived and in that way that they would, that would be the most winsome way uh, and the most biblical way to honor the Lord and to win their non-believing husbands to Christ. So the purpose, was to, the purpose of the submission in that particular case was to win their husbands to Christ, to draw them closer to Christ if they were Christians. And we have, uh, maybe you know somebody who has been in that position, a woman who has been married to a non-believer and some of the challenges that she has faced. Maybe you know somebody who was won over to Christ through the conduct of a uh, godly woman. Amen. We have a lot of history uh, of that in the church, sometimes in our personal lives and cases. But another uh, comes from St. Augustine in his Confessions. He writes about his mother and how his mother was a woman, a Christian woman, married to an unbelieving husband, and how she won him. And uh, this is in his confessions, and so this is a, a prayer that he is praying to the Lord about his mother. And he says, she served her husband as her mate and did all she could to win him for you, speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you, were by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you an example. St. Augustine is saying is admiring his mother and the way that she was made beautiful as by her conduct uh, she ultimately spoke to her husband about Christ and about the Lord and uh, ultimately won him towards the end of his life. It's an example of, of what Peter is talking about. So the purpose is to win husbands, to, uh, to submit in such a way that you draw husbands closer to you. But even as, supposing we understand what submission is and its purpose, where does the ability to submit come from? Where does the power for submission to come from? And that especially is given to us in verse 5, as well as in the whole context of Peter's letter. But in verse 5 we read, For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. The power to submit is hope, the hope that God has given us through Christ Jesus our Lord. We heard that uh, holy women of old hoped in God. And that is what enabled them, as he says towards the end of verse 6, to do what is right without being frightened by any fear. This hope filled Christian women with such strength that it made them fearless and gave them the strength and the ability, willingly, not because they are kept in submission, but willingly to serve their husbands. Set them free from all fear. I would like uh, to invite you to consider some of the fears that keep us 
uh, that affect our, our thoughts on submission. Sometimes we are afraid of submission simply out of fear of man. What will people think of us when they see uh, me as a wife submitting to my husband? What will my friends, my peers, what will society at large, what thoughts will they have of me? Will they see me in weakness? Will they look down upon me or despise me? There's fear of man. What do people think? Do I have the proper praise of men when I submit myself to my husband? There's also, so there's the fear of man, but there's also the, just the fear of, of loss of pride, fear of loss of dignity, fear of loss of prestige. There may be the fear of loss of identity. If I submit myself in this way, I'm going to lose who I am. I'm going to be absorbed, as it were, into my husband. I will cease to have a will of my own as I just do whatever my husband tells me. That's sort of a fear. There's fear that we will not find it to be very fulfilling. My husband, who gets to be served by me, might find it very fulfilling, but I will not personally find it to be very fulfilling. And finally, there's fear of being taken advantage of, being intimidated, being bullied into submission in a marriage. I'll be taken advantage of in some way or another. And that seems to be in Peter's mind when he talks at the end of verse 6 about being frightened by any fear. In verse 14, he says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear intimidation. And do not be troubled. Do not stand in fear of what people can do to you, will say about you, or any uh, loss that you will suffer as a result of submission. One of the things that I would like for you to consider is that even if you reject the idea of submission, you will still be driven by these exact same fears. Rejecting submission will not set your heart free from being captivated, being consumed by these same fears which tend to grip our hearts. These fears will consume you. The only thing that can set you free is hope in God. That sure, that sure hope that Peter has been writing uh, from the very beginning when he says to us that you have been born again to a living hope through the de death and resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. The only thing that can set you free is when you have a hope that answers to all of those fears that depends entirely and exclusively on Christ, his death and resurrection alone, and therefore you are utterly secure as a person, and then you are free to willingly submit yourself to be a servant of another. The psalmists write about how it sets us free from the fear of man. In Psalm 56, verse 4, the psalmist writes, In God whose word I praise, in God whom I have placed my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Peter talks again about the fearlessness, both at the end of verse 6 and in 14. Do not be intimidated by them. And he is communicating the good news that you have something that no, no suffering, no trials, and no person can ever take away from you. When you know this hope, and as the Holy Spirit ministers it to your hearts, you don't fear what people think because you know what God thinks of you. And when God thinks of you, when he has become your treasure and you care so much about what he says, you stand in awe of his opinion, then what other people say is really inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. You don't fear what people think. Let them say what they will. I know what my God says of me. And he alone do I treasure and care about when he, what he thinks. You don't fear loss of pride when you already stand justified. You're already approved. And you have that freely given to you in Jesus Christ. You don't fear loss of prestige 
When Christ returns, he will receive praise and glory and honor. And because he has made you his bride, all Christians are the bride of Christ, he shares that praise and honor and glory with you when he returns. And when you have that hope, you have prestige and honor and glory, and it is hope, it is a sure thing for you. You know that you will receive it in due time when Christ returns. Therefore, it sets you free to humble yourself and to serve others. It sets you free from fear of loss of identity. Your identity is secure. Remember what Peter has, has uh, just reminded uh, uh, us of in chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Your identity is secure. No one can take your identity from you. Your identity is in Christ. And you're, so you are secure as a person. You don't fear lack of fulfillment. You don't le fear losing your career, if you will. Maybe by uh, submitting, it's going to cost me something by way of money or by way of career. You can lose nothing. Because your whole career, your whole ambition is to be like Christ, the suffering servant. That is your vision of the good life, is to become more like Christ, Jesus your Lord. And when he came, the Lord of glory came, he came as the suffering servant. Because he came of the, as a suffering servant, that is your beauty, that is your vision of the good life. My vision of the good life is to be able to serve and to be like Christ. That is the best thing for me, to be beautified with the beauty that I see in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Money can't be taken away from you. You have an inheritance kept in heaven for you, and you yourself are being kept. You see the way this hope that God has given us answers to all of our fears that surround the whole idea of submission. Christ changes everything. And if there's one thing that I could leave with you, it, it would be this, that our fear and hatred of submission is ultimately rooted in a false view of God. That Satan put into the world and put into your and my heart and which Christ Jesus alone corrects. There's a false view of God that stands behind our hatred of submission. The false view of God, you see, pictures God as the, uh, sitting on his throne, being served by all creation. He himself doesn't really lift a finger. He receives the praise and adoration and the service of all creation. He himself uh, is uh, sort of on the throne. And that picture, I mean, it's sort of like that husband who, uh, we said earlier, you know, doesn't lift a finger, is sitting there watching the game and enjoying himself and telling other people to do work for him. A lot of people have that baseline conception of God. God is to be served. It hardly occurs to them that God is the one who serves all things and is served by no one. And that is the image of God that Christ restores. He gives us a right view of God. We resent the husband and his ability to, uh, to sort of sit on the throne of our marriage, if you will, and to receive submission from others because we say he's putting himself in the place of God and no one should be in that position, if anyone, but God himself. Certainly no man should be in that position. But if that is the way that you think, you have an entirely wrong conception about what it means to be God. God is not sitting on the throne being served by all creation as though he needed anything. He needs no one to serve him. He himself is the servant of all creation. He opens up his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. The real God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. And therefore, if you want to know what it is like to be God, consider a servant. None of us 
if we really understand God would want to be in his position of having to be the servant of all, we would, we would, we would dry up instantly. We don't have resources to be that kind of a servant. And yet God in his infinite resources to the glory of his name and full of omnipotence and power, he is able to fill that role. He is the servant of all creation and satisfies the desire of every living thing. That is what it is like to be God. I would like to invite you to consider why Peter spent so much time addressing slaves, first slaves and then wives. You notice the number of verses spent on each one? And only a single verse for husbands. Now, there might be several reasons for that. One reason is, uh, you know, simply because Peter had concern. They, though slaves and wives were in a vulnerable position and they needed some instruction and pastorally, Peter is giving attention to them. But there's another reason, because Sanders, between his instructions to slaves and his instructions to wives, is Christ the suffering servant. The reason he spends so much time on slaves and on wives is because having given this general principle that all Christians are to submit themselves to, serve, to be the servants of all, he says if you want to look for an example of that in creation, look to slaves and look to wives. Look to Christ himself who came not as the Lord of glory to be served, but to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is saying that all of us as Christians who have a restored image of who God truly is, what it is like to be like God, now need to look not to emperors on their throne and people full of power and glory. We now, with the right view of God, need to look towards servants and look towards those godly women of old who hoped in God. In their service, our sacrificial service for others, they show us they give us a right view of our calling, all of our calling as Christians. All of us are called to submit. Therefore, all of us can identify with slaves and with wives. And that's part of the reason that Peter addresses them. Only a right view of God that Christ came to serve you, to bear your sin, to suffer in your behalf. Not to be served by you, first and foremost, but to serve you. Only that conception, when it pierces your heart, will give you the strength to submit yourself and to be a servant of others. You are served by the Lord of glory. And when you realize that, you're set free from all your fears to serve others. So that is the power of uh, submission. Finally, we need to look at the, the practice of submission. What does biblical submission look like in practice? And here, uh, Peter uh, indicates several things. In verse uh, 2, he, he describes it as chaste and respectful behavior. Now, those words make community, you know, Chaste, for instance, may communicate to the idea of you know, sexual purity, that they are faithful uh, to their husbands. And that's not actually what uh, the word is getting at. Uh, it is a broader term for holiness. Uh, perhaps a more wooden translation, if you will, is as they observe, this verse 2, as they observe your holy conduct and fear. That respect is not really a respect for husband. It is fear out of fear for the Lord, out of reverence for him, standing in awe of his great glory and majesty, and that he, uh, in Christ, has served you, standing in awe of him, you conduct yourself as one who knows the one true God, that he is a servant of all, and that is why you serve the way that you do. You are to be holy as God is holy. Other, different, while all uh, of us in our, in our sinful, self-serving ways, we put ourselves forward and we want the best, we, want, we care about ourselves and personal fulfillment, and we obsess over those things. We are to be the servants of all. So in your holy behavior, being like God, who is a servant of all. Uh, and you do that out of reverence for the Lord. 
So first of all, that, that's, you are to show, uh, show by the way that you relate to your uh, husband and the way that you serve him, the way that you honor his authority, that you understand that God is holy and you are holy. You are precious to the Lord. You know what it is like to be God, that he is a servant of all, and that's how you serve. You show that you have reverence for the Lord. So that's, uh, first of all, uh, holy conduct and fear, and the fear of the Lord, not in fear of your husband. And then secondly, uh, we read as we uh, go on, uh, not in the outward adornment, as we read earlier, but in verse 4, let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, I want you to know he is not talking about a personality type. You know, some people, they're just they're gentle and they're quiet. But what if you have sort of a loud personality? You laugh out loud. You're outgoing. You have sort of a loud personality, and maybe sometimes you wish, you know, I wish I were more submissive. Or, you know, I, I, is it only the quiet personality types who are actually truly submissive? And if you have a loud personality, are you supposed to squelch that personality? No. Gentle and quiet is not referring to a personality type. It is a, it is a character issue that is being described. Gentle means not being, this is what the word means. It's the same word for meek, by the way. It's the, it's the word for meek. The meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, gentle means not being overly impressed by a sense of your own importance. It's not a character issue. Gentle, you know, sometimes means, you know, quiet, submissive, you know, demure. No, it's not, it's not what's being talked about. It's a character issue. Whether you are conducting yourself as somebody that, that thinks you are a really important person and serving is beneath you. You're not to be that way. You are to show that you're not overly impressed by your own importance. You know that Christ is important. The Lord is important. And honoring and pleasing him is important to you. So you're uh, to be gentle. For, uh, secondly, you're to be quiet. And quiet just means well-ordered. Uh, what, what Peter is getting at here is you're not... Uh, the wife who is submit, in her submissiveness is to be a force for peace in the home not a constant source of friction and upheaval and turmoil. She is not to be argumentative all the time. She uh, is to uh, serve her husband, to, you know, again, a, to accept his authority and to yield to it, and not always, because she has a high opinion of herself, always fighting uh, for every decision. She is to be a force for peace in the home. She is not to be a constant source of friction and, and upheaval. That is what I, you know, so again, that's, uh, you yield to your husband, and, and it makes for a peaceful uh, home. But you may be asking yourself, am I sup really supposed to submit to my husband in everything? Do whatever he says? Well, the answer obviously is no. Uh, first of all, we know that because uh, your husband, or at least in this case, is an unbelieving husband, he has a different God, and you are not to submit to him in that. You're not to submit to his headship when he tells you to worship a false god. There are limits on the uh, authority of a husband over a wife. In fact, it's very striking. It doesn't strike us this way, but the original readers of this passage would have been surprised, if not startled, by what Peter is doing here. Uh, for instance, it probably did not strike you at all that Peter, takes, uh, that Peter, in his letter, addresses slaves directly and addresses wives directly. That probably didn't surprise you at all. But if you go back into the cultural context, the Greek moral philosophers of the day who, ought, who gave similar instructions, they never addressed wives and slaves directly. That was the head of the household. That was his business, and my business is not to do that. My business is to direct 
all of my instruction to the head of the household, and it is his job then to, uh, to talk with his wife, you know, his wife and uh, his servants. Peter is doing something that actually for the time is quite striking when he addresses wives directly. There's perhaps a sense in the cultural expectations of the time where husbands say, what are you doing meddling with my slaves and meddling and giving instructions to my wife? Peter is speaking as an apostle of Jesus Christ and he is applying the authority of Christ. Christ has supreme authority over all. And that limits the husband's authority. Husbands' authority don't have absolute and total authority over their wives. There is a higher authority that husbands themselves must also answer to in how they conduct, and that is the authority of Christ. So actually what Peter is doing here is he is limiting their authority. If your husband wants you to worship a false god, you, do not, you don't go with him in that. You don't submit in that matter. If he asks you to do something which is sinful, which Christ says is wrong, Christian wives are not to submit to their husbands. They cannot submit. But here's what Peter is saying. They are to so conduct themselves in such a way that they show it, it's, it's not because they're, they're proud inwardly and they're arrogant and they have a high esteem of themselves and that's why every issue they want to debate everything. They are to show, and the, there's a, a respectful way of disagreeing and even uh, refusing to obey that shows that you earnestly desire to honor your husband's authority, even in a case where you cannot. There's a way of communicating that you are really quite glad to be free from having to submit to the scoundrel in this matter. But you are to so show him honor and respect that, that you would like to lead. You hope to win him around to Christ and to his ways in order that you might submit to them. You are to show that you, you are a servant in this matter, even to your husband, even when he asks you to do something that Christ says is wrong and you refuse to submit in that matter. There are limits, and the limits of the authority of Christ. You are to honor Christ when your husband asks you to do something that Christ says is wrong. The final thing that I want to say is that uh, in God's design, we'll look at this a little bit more uh, next week, in God's design for marriage, the husband uh, has certain uh, inherent weaknesses that the wife is to help him with. God designed man and woman to be brought together so that the wife is not just passive in her submission, but she actually brings resources that the husband needs. Uh, so the idea is that uh, wives have gifts and strengths that husbands need. Uh, John Piper, I read, uh, uh, he has a book, uh, Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, that he wrote with uh, Wayne Grudem, actually. But in this first chapter, it's, it's a very helpful chapter, but he, he writes this about uh, a wife's submission. Uh, he says this, uh, she joins in the act of strength and shares in the process of leadership. Mature women bring nurturing strengths and insights that make men stronger and wiser and that make the relationship richer. In other words, wives in submitting do what Christ does for them. Christ brings his resources, his wisdom, and he strengthens us with them. And wives in their submission, they're not merely passive, following their husbands, uh, doing whatever. I, again, notice that Peter wants wives to influence their husbands toward Christ. But they are to so submit in such a way and respectfully in such a way and influence their husband that they bring their insights and their strengths that God has given them that God knows husbands need in order to be stronger and to be wiser in the way that they proceed. A wise husband listens to his wife. Even as uh, he knows that she ultimately must submit, he listens. He knows that he needs the strengths, the wisdom, the insights that a woman has that he does not have. So he honors his wife in that way. 
God's design for the wife is that ultimately she would be free. Free from all fear, uh, all the fears that we talked about that so uh, rise up within our, within our hearts when you think about serving others. Loss of prestige, loss of pride, loss of identity. He answers all of those in order uh, to give Christian women and men as well hope for our calling as Christians to be the servants of all. We are all of us, and next we're going to see the man's role. The man's role as he is a leader is to consider his wife. He is not to use his authority selfishly. He is to lay himself down, even as Christ laid uh, his, uh, himself down for his bride. In that same way, a husband is to lead his wife. Today, whether you are single or whether you are married, whether you are male or whether you are female, there is something about submission we must all learn. All of us as Christians are to die to ourselves and to use the position God has given us, the resources, the wisdom, the intelligence God has given us to serve others to the best of our ability. That is something which is true of all people. And the only way that we as Christians can be the servants of all is if we know that our hope is secure in Christ and it depends on nothing other than uh, entirely and exclusively on Christ himself. And if we have that hope, it gives you inward strength. It sets you free from all of the fears which otherwise dominate and consume our hearts and it enables you with that hope and with that strength of joy to be the servants of all and to fulfill your calling. And for you as wives today, I want you to know you are not kept in submission. That is not the biblical calling to be kept in submission to your husband. The biblical calling is to receive this hope, to become fearless because of it, and to use your position that God has given you when he calls you into marriage to serve others, even as God calls the husband to do the same in his use of authority over his wife. Let us uh, bow our hearts and ask that God would give us that hope and that strength. Our Heavenly Father, we lift our hearts before you. We know that none of us are submissive. We care far more for ourselves. Yet, Father, we are humbled to see the great Lord of glory who did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, something to be insisted upon when we stood in need of him coming and being a servant and submitting even to death for our sakes. Father, the great Lord of glory came as a suffering servant. He had no money. He had no earthly uh, countenance. He was despised and rejected by men. And yet, Father, uh, he, he died the most ignominious and shameful death, and he did that for us. And yet, Father, when we see that we now are secure, that our hope has been secured by Christ because of what he did, Father, it gives us strength. We want to be like our Savior, and we pray that you would fill us with the strength of hope, the strength of joy, that you would make us fearless, and that we would be servants of all. Father, we can only do that if the, with the strength that you provide through the hope that you have given us in Christ. Minister to our hearts and make us, as your people, the servants of all, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Our closing hymn is going to be in your bulletin, so you'll need to uh, grab them and... Uh, turn uh, with me. You'll find uh, the closing hymn is called May the Peace of God, and uh, it was sung earlier during the offering. I invite you to rise and to sing these words with me. of God our Heavenly Father and Christ 